This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guests are Aisha Alfadala, Emily Lerman, and Irena Stein. Three women working together in Baltimore on an extraordinary collaboration with Mira Kitchen Collective. Mira was founded in 2017 by immigrant and refugee women as a platform to bring cuisines from countries like Burkina Faso and Syria to Baltimore. When COVID-19 shut down their everyday business, Mira's members drew on their own personal experiences with crisis and changed their business to serve their community. Now, working with Irena Stein and her team from Alma Casina Latina, Mira Kitchen Collective is cooking thousands of meals for neighbors in need. Their story is powerful, and it's just getting started. We're back tomorrow with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Aisha talking first, Emily up second, and Irena closing it out. Aisha, can you tell me about Mira Kitchen's mission and how you guys are responding to COVID-19? So our name, Mira, comes from, from the Greek word Meraki. That means when you do something so passionately that you leave part of you in it. Mira Kitchen started uh, with an idea that we are a cooperative. That means everybody has a share and a voice in the business. And we're formed by refugee and immigrant women to create empowerment through business ownership. We are a catering company with pop-up events and farmer's market. So when the pandemic happened, our, we had to kind of shift our mission to um, what we, what basically what we usually do is put we before, before us, you know, um, and that's the, that's like the natural response that we have done is what's the need of the community and how we can support our staff. Uh, and that's what we did. Basically, we opened a GoFundMe uh, and people were very generous, generous to support us uh, where we, we were able to pay our rent and pay our staff uh, and at the same time deliver meals to those who need it. How many members are in your collective? We have five members. Um, however, uh, some of our members could not work during this time because of, you know, some of them are single women. So they have children at home. And now, as you know, there's no child care. So a lot of staff couldn't work. Some of our staff could work and not consistently. So we collaborated with um, Alma Cocina, where they uh, sent some of their staff that need work. Uh, and that's how we supported our operation. Our operation now consists of five to six people. Uh, a day. And you guys have been uh, cooking for the, the community and you've made 10,000 meals plus so far. Yes, that's correct. It's about like two, uh, we started at 250 meals a day and now it's up to 500, 600, 600 meals a day. We operate from Monday to Saturday. I know uh, you're also on the, the community advisory board for the mayor's office of immigrant affairs. That's correct. Um, and I'm I'm wondering how are how are immigrants feeling in in Baltimore right now? More vulnerable than usual, locked down and, and scared. A lot of the people you deal with in in your collective um, come from backgrounds where things didn't go so well in terms of violence, in terms of asylum, in terms of fleeing from refugee camps and war. So I just kind of want to know how people are are, are feeling in your orbit. Um. 
Baltimore has already before the, the pandemic has been facing like food food deserts and food crisis uh, but the pandemic has kind of exacerbated it you know like we public transportation has been slower because it only people are scared to use it so even if there is food people are scared to go on the bus they might you know they're scared of, um, of getting the virus or just if they're a single household they can't leave the children if, you know by themselves um, and people are a lot a lot of undocumented individuals are uh, scared to be asked for their IDs or uh, by immigration if they get food. Uh, however, like a lot of the population bring a lot of strength during this crisis. They bring resilience. Uh, I think this is, has been hard for on for everybody. You know, this is this is extended trauma. It's not just okay one thing like one one incident and then you're feeling you can like recover from it it's like extended nobody know when so you know to know will be done with this um however uh, as i was saying like this is this is, has brought resilience from all of us and being like what's my everybody's asking themselves what can i do um and i think immigrants it's kind of changed the power of immigrants now uh, immigrants are the people who are serving the community who have the power and I think it's kind of shifting these dynamics uh, of power uh, how uh, they're not now they are in the front line and some in, in the front line of service that's amazing to think that one of the outcomes of this could be a potential power shift where immigrants do feel more empowered where refugees do feel more empowered. Can you tell me about the the spirit every day in your kitchen and what the cooking is like? Um, as I said before, Mira is like a mix of different cultures that come together and makes meals. That, for example, we'll have like a Syrian rice with um, like Ethiopian lentils all on the same plate, and that's what it has been for us. Uh, especially like learning from the staff from Alma Cocina has been. Uh, even even if the individuals in the kitchen are not speaking the same language, uh, the only language they speak is food, and they're learning from each other. And it's um, has been has they has been very creative and resourceful uh, in creating dishes that kind of match, you know, the different cultures they're from, and honoring that. Are those the foods you're you're cooking now, or are you trying to cook comfort food that's recognizable to Americans? <laughs> no, no, we're not doing anything that is recognizable. We're doing exactly what we used to do. Uh, and, you know, it, it's basically because we believe in honoring the culture of the individuals that cook, and that's a form of expression and art. Uh, also, like, we believe that individuals deserve uh, quality food um, in this crisis. So we're not making anything lower than what we used to make. I know you have, uh, you know, chefs from Syria who specialize in saffron-infused charcoal smoked rice and from Burkina mm -hmm. Faso who make sorrel chicken stew and black-eyed pea fritters and people from El Salvador who make pupusas. What, what's coming out of the kitchen today? So meals are always, like, hearty. There's always, like, a, a carb and a protein or we either do, like, a vegan gluten-free or a, a meat uh, gluten-free option. We're trying to please as many people as possible but last week they made this like amazing romanesco right like with romanesco and cilantro and like they, they've they've made some really some really great stuff who are you guys feeding in the community who are the meals going to um 
Well, we've, we've partnered with some different community organizers. So it started because there was a community organizer that we knew in Southwest Baltimore who said, can you make 250 meals a day for the next week? Um, and we, you know, and, and he knew of a very specific need in a, in a part of the city that often doesn't have access to a lot of resources. Um, so that's where we started. We reached out to folks at different hospitals, also making sure that the people at the, at the hospitals were like the cleaners and the security guards, folks who might not always get access, you know, when people bring in food. There's different senior centers. Um, there's someone we partnered with who runs an after school program. He's not running the after school program right now and he was really worried about the families. There's a lot of individuals that have reached out to us just concerned about other neighbors or other people in their, in their community. Um, who reached out. So it's been everything from like, can you get me 400 meals a day because I'm an organizer and I know of, of these different gaps to, can you check on my neighbor? Are you, are you able to meet the demand? Uh, yeah, we have been, I mean, there's, there's a huge demand. It's like, it's almost like it's a drop in the bucket, but we haven't had to say no to every, anybody. Um, you know, even someone called today and they're like, how many can you do? And I was like, I don't know how many families are there. Just, just tell me what the number is and like, we'll make it work right now. We have the resources. So I think my mentality is like, use up everything we can while we have it. I'm confident it will keep coming. It's we're six weeks in and we still have money and we have money for the next like nine days right now. So it's like, use it all up. We're not worried about we're not trying to save anything. We're trying to like spend what we have, get as many people working and as many people fed. And all the money at this point is from GoFundMe and private donations. Yes. This this wasn't the plan for for Mirror Kitchen. I mean, you guys are in the farmers market. You do you do catering. You showcase recipes from all kinds of cultures to the city of Baltimore. And I know it, it's really been critically acclaimed. I also know before this, you worked for Doctors Without Borders and have international experience working in in refugee camps. Do you find yourself drawing on that experience now in in ways that you didn't necessarily expect to be in in, in your role with Mira? For sure. I mean, I think working with Doctors Without Borders, you you just respond. You just start. When we we came up with this idea to do these meals on on March thirteenth, and it was like, I don't know, we'll get the money, but and we're, we'll figure it out. Um, and we just started. We started right away, and I think that's very much the Doctors Without Borders way. Just like respond and adapt and keep going. Don't don't wait until there's some huge need, um, which was important because we started with two fifty per day and by the second week we were at 550 per day um and now we we can definitely do more you know i was super nervous the night before the first night we did it because we were like yes we've cooked for hundreds of people before but we've never boxed up 250 meals i don't even know what that looks like i don't even know how much space we need for that i don't even know how to do the calculation um but then we did it we did it the first day and and that's, I think it's very much the, the Doctors Without Borders way of just like, say yes and do it and we'll find the resources. And we had great people involved. So we, ha we have a solid team. How much does it cost to, to run this operation a day? I read $1,200 a day about on your website for labor, food and, and kitchen rental. Is that still about the cost? That's still about the cost. It, you know, we've been really fortunate to receive more food donations. So that's helped us offset the cost even more. Um, the whole point is to like keep as many people working as possible that can like safely work in our kitchen. Um, so, you know, we've, we're, we're able to kind of offset the, the, um, the decrease in the food costs with, you know, increasing the labor. 
How many people are working in the kitchen at this point? Between five to seven. And where is the kitchen space? Are you renting a, an industrial kitchen? Are you working in a restaurant that's closed? Yeah, so we um, we've always cooked for the for the last several months out of Neapol Smokery. So they're another small business in Baltimore. They're wonderful people. They it's their production facility. And prior to this, you know, we were using it for our catering operations, and they were using they were using a majority of it. So now it's like kind of switched that we're in there every day, which which was all kind of part of this, like. They're a small business. They were forced to close two of their stores, one in DC, one here in Baltimore. And like, how can we stimulate that economy? So like by us paying rent to them, they're able to like close out some of their payroll um, and just fill, fill, you know, gaps in other places. So we, we cook out of that kitchen. It's in Southwestern Baltimore. They make delicious smoked foods. And um, we even have one of the members of their team who's helping us out as well. So you guys are helping an existing business pay their rent. You're providing jobs to people in a time where there's many millions of unemployed people, and you're feeding thousands of people in Baltimore who don't have food. I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> it's great. And also, like, seeing how much, how much food could be potentially wasted, like, like Aisha said, like, there is, there's always been food food security issues in the city and it's, it's incredibly unfortunate. And we have so many resources. Um, it should not be like that ever. And especially not now, but like I get, I've get gotten calls like, Hey, we have a bunch of stuff that's about to go bad and, and gone back to the kitchen with 400 pounds of food that we were able to make, you know, that day and, and turn into something beautiful. What are the biggest challenges of this for you so far? <clears throat> I think I'm just, worried about making sure everybody's safe and we're not exposing anyone to any risk. I think the reason that we have like five to seven people in the kitchen is that like, I don't ever want anybody to feel like I need to come because we said we promised that we do a thousand meals. If someone doesn't come, if two people don't come, like we have, like Irena's team is amazing. Um, we have such an incredible, like all together, the teams are, are so amazing. Like everyone can pick up the slack. So I think what's challenging to me is, is, is like the anxiety that comes with like, are we, are we being safe? Are we being mindful? Are we exposing people to, to any, any additional risks in terms of like logistics? I think, I think thanks to having such a strong team, that's not a huge challenge. Also, you know, this isn't a sustainable business model. We're using GoFundMe and like, I, look at the spreadsheet every day and I'm like, okay, we have this much money left. We have this many more days that we can keep going. It's hard to tell people who are already really vulnerable. Yeah, maybe we have work tomorrow or, or maybe we have work next week. I've been really lucky to be able to say we, we have work next week and, and give people like five days of, of it heads up. But that's hard um, because there's not much else, uh, you know, if, if we're not doing this. Are you seeking funding from a more stable backer at this point? We're trying, and then you know we're funding this through our for-profit cooperative business. There's, and I think what's important to us about Mira is having this ownership, um, this shared ownership in this cooperative business. There's also ways that we could maybe do it through nonprofit funding, but I'm we're not there yet. It's really nice to be able to have these individual donations so that we're not bound by anybody else's agenda, and we can say, like I said, to say yes to everybody and, you know, see the need and, and go right away. I like the say yes to everybody model. It seems really important uh, yeah. for, for what's going on right now. 
It's good. I haven't had a say no, and I really hope that that doesn't that doesn't happen. How does the food get to, from point A in your in your kitchen to to point B to people who need it? Um, there's a few people who come and that we have that we've coordinated with, and they come pick up a large share of it. Um, in the beginning, I was dropping it off to to one person, so we we've, we've tried to like streamline it as much as possible. When we're going to like families homes of families will we either myself or some other volunteers um will will drop it off at their doorstep you guys have always been an organization intent on on spreading love through your community but i feel like you guys are doing it at a much faster rate now what are you learning about baltimore that you didn't know before i'm i'm proud that like people that we have such a strong community here like especially in the food industry i think um, we exist because people supported us from the beginning before we even had a name, and that's that's really amazing. Um, I think that I mean there's there's so many wonderful people here, like really, really trying to like make to move this city forward, and who are working together. And I was at um, I was at like a distribution, a don a huge donation for chicken that someone had organized, they were giving away like thousands of pounds. And I ran into four people that I knew just since this all started, who were all like working together to like dispatch this in every way possible. So I think we have a, an amazingly strong network of folks who, who are working together even before this happened. There's giant chicken giveaways happening. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was it was really crazy. It was in the parking lot outside of the um, Raven Stadium. And I got a call on Friday afternoon, like, can you show up at 10 a.m. on Saturday? And I showed up and there were like huge refrigerated trucks and they dropped a pallet of like 40 cases of chicken. And I loaded it up in the car and we that that got us through like 10 days, which saved us a lot of money. And I mean, those sorts of things are really helpful. But then, yeah, running into people that I knew they're doing the same thing. It's incredible. The surprise is coming from every direction during this pandemic, from suddenly feeding thousands of people to chicken drop-offs to, I even think the kind of food that you guys are providing is, is really different than a lot of other aid organizations I've talked to who are trying very hard to make the things um, really recognizable. Yeah, I think one of the fun things is that since we're getting food donations and it's and it's really good, like the produce has been great, the team has been really like they've adapted a lot and you know it's like we've got tons of potatoes so and tons of zucchini and they're still putting their own spin on it and making it fun and, and exciting um but they know that like the more that we can adapt with the food that we're, we're given and make it good um the longer we can do it so it's always different even though we might have like a huge supply of like zucchinis for a week for example they'll make it really they'll make it different and fun and delicious so let's let's shout out the people working in the kitchen right now. Who are they? Where are they from? How many hours a day are they working? It sounds like they're making magical food. All right. So uh, <laughs> I'll start with who is in there today. We have Rogelio from uh, from Mexico. We have Juan from uh, Guatemala. Inocencio, um, Javier, Tesla, um, uh, Manuel. Uh, Loida, we have Iman, we have Kibra, um, and 
we had a few we had a few other people who helped start up um, Tim and Stephanie not everybody's all in there at this exact moment but those are the people who have made it happen and everyone's from all all different places all around the world yeah um, not all refugees but all immigrants it sounds like yeah yeah undocumented documented all different things <laughs> yeah. What does it mean to you to be able to protect undocumented workers at this time and, and help to continue to give them a source of income in a time where they can't collect unemployment? And it's I mean, they're they're it's it they're the most vulnerable. It's it's really challenging. And when you think about the the different government benefits and you know the the ability for some folks to be able to get unemployment and to be able to stay home and and be you know a bit safer, it's it's just so hard. Like. It, it's also, it's also just hard to, you know, with the systems that we have in place, it's hard to be able to like help different folks with, uh, with different status issues and everything. And like, as someone who's on the, the operational and financial side, like there's a lot of conversation I've, conversations I've had, like, how do we do this? Um, it's not super easy and no one will really, everybody who asks tells you something different and then you're just trying to figure it out as you go. It's a weird system where people aren't necessarily classified as just people. There's all these different designations. It makes things a lot harder. I think that's what I'm understanding. It is very hard. Irena? Hola. So you you run a restaurant in Baltimore as, as well, a beautiful restaurant. Can you tell me how you got involved in this and, and what it means to you to be doing this right now? Oh, yes, very much so. So we have a Venezuelan restaurant that we opened uh, five years ago, uh, five years ago, tomorrow, actually, it's our anniversary. Happy restaurant birthday. Um, it, it's been a very interesting ride to have a Venezuelan restaurant in the city of Baltimore. Um, you know, culture has been part of the whole presentation of a restaurant since uh, very few people here or in many places don't know much about Venezuela. So, uh, so basically, yeah, we've tried to share our culture in many possible ways. Um, the, the situation diaspora in Venezuela um, has helped me in the sense that we got a fantastic chef from Venezuela who had fled the country because of the violence there and fear for his kids. And then we had several students that came also through uh, through the ALMA to train under Enrique Limardo, who, who is our culinary director, and who then stayed here through as political refugee or you know exceptional talent visa. Since there is no, there are no options for them for a return to Venezuela since the, the situation continues over there. So from the beginning. Uh, and I'm also an anthropologist, social worker. From the beginning, migration has always been part of my life forever, <laughs> a long, long time. So that was the first community that we supported a lot, you know, immigration within our, our restaurant. Um, when this whole situation came about and we had to close our doors in March, of course, there were immediate questions on, uh, you know, what are we going to do next? Do we stay open? Is it safe? Is it not safe? Some people opted to close. But um, my first instinct was to think, okay, we have this staff. We have staff that has no access to benefits, and we have staff that does. 
The ones that do can go on unemployment. What can we do to keep, and of course, it's the kitchen mainly, and what can we do to keep them? And uh, so we decided to do takeout and to hire them the few hours, you know, a day that we do takeout. So they produce and, and they rotate so everybody gets a chance to some money because from my experience um, in Venezuela, 20 years of a disastrous economy, I have seen uh, every time I go, which has been very often till they close the border, I've seen hunger in, uh, in its full display in my own country. And therefore, hunger for me is, is almost the, you know, the determining factor that led us to stay open to make sure that every family that belonged to our community was going to have food on the table. They have kids. That's very important. I come from a country where there's a whole generation with so much malnutrition that I've seen, you know, what, what that does. And, and it's, it's a horrendous, horrendous thing. So this is why we started. And I've been very close to Mera because they, of course, uh, have worked from the beginning with refugees and immigrants. And I think that they're a very rich culture, very rich community. And that is just beginning to blossom in Baltimore. And uh, so I was very taken by what they were doing and how they were doing it. And so I've been always enamored and wanting to support any kind of way, whether it was, or how do you do catering for so many people? How much do you charge? But now it's become really, really wonderful. And so because their numbers uh, kept rising of the amount of lunches that they, they had to make, then um, part of our team moved over to Mera during the day to produce uh, this food and they have really great training. So uh, it's really great. And our, our chef, our sous chef actually is in Spain. He's stuck over there because he's one of those visa people that cannot come back right now. So he's been directing them from Spain on how to produce food for hundreds of people in a more efficient way. So you see these links you know, so many people, so many places happening. So that was a very important thing for us. It, it was the social aspect and the strategy of, of our beginning. So that's, you know, why we decided. And then, of course, I think what, what's very important is the context in Baltimore. Uh, I, I am super happy to see our, our uh, South American, Central American guys interchanging body language and food uh, techniques with people they don't understand a word uh, you know each other but they have a body language together and they're learning about each other's culture and that's something that uh, is rarely mentioned and these are the benefits of of people in a crisis there's so many benefits and so many blessings in a in a crisis like that because the humanity rises up and uh, and it creates a beautiful experience that should really be talked about so, so now we have these, like you were mentioning before with Aisha and, uh, and Emily, is that these immigrants and these refugees now are the providers of food in a city that is lacking a tremendous amount of food. We have, like Aisha said, we have enormous sections of uh, food deserts, a lot of people with very poor nutrition. Um, the meals that are being delivered to them have all the balance that they need between protein and vegetables and carbs. So every day they have a balanced meal. And that hopefully creates a, a, you know, a habit. I don't know if it's necessarily the food that they normally eat. Uh, and that was one of your questions. However, uh, if it's the food that you have, you know, uh, even if it's the protein or the vegetable, you're getting nutrition. And that I think is very important for a city that has so much generational poverty uh, because 
you know, you're, you're feeding them right now, um, you know, a steady meal every day. And I think that makes a huge impact. And we were talking earlier before getting on your program on, uh, you know, how wonderful it would be that this actually continues and creates a centralized food policy led by food professionals and not politicians. You know, so they actually hire food professionals to see once and for all how we solve the situation with nutrition, not only in schools, but in families and obesity situation, et cetera, in the city of Baltimore. And if we can actually get this going and turn it into food policies until we really, I mean, eradicate is a big wish, <laughs> but really demolish a lot of this, um, you know, permanent structure of bad food, processed food, et cetera, for these communities, it would be an extraordinary result from this crisis. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's possible that there will be a lot of extraordinary results from from this crisis. And what you're describing uh, blends policy and culture together in, in, in such a beautiful way that promotes inclusion and tolerance and understanding. And it's all wrapped up as in food, which all of us food people, of course, know and have been preaching for years. But you're right, now's the time to, to turn it into broad action. Yeah. Our, our show is called Takeaway Only. I want to get an answer from all three of you. What is your big takeaway from this moment, uh, Irena? And then we'll, we'll pass back to Aisha and then to Emily. Well, it's interesting. The, the future is a complete unknown. And if we have to reinvent ourselves, we will have to reinvent ourselves. Um, I am very inspired uh, by uh, social gastronomy, which is an idea that is often talked about and taught by Johanna Mendelssohn Foreman at American University. And she always is talking about food and conflict. And uh, this is definitely food and conflict in a crisis. And, uh, and so this is a time to reinvent. Uh, we really don't know uh, if we have a future restaurant in our hands, if this is going to be a one-year thing. However, we can turn our food knowledge and our humanistic uh, purpose you know, of, of business into, into the city and maybe completely reinvent ourselves. We don't know. But at least thinking this way gives us every day a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose to continue our work. Thank you. Thank you. Aisha, um, your big takeaway. My my big takeaway is uh, I think this this time has really tested our idea of interdependence, especially in this country. I think we have this idea that you can do it alone, bootstrap, uh, and all of that. But if you don't have boots, I guess I'm not sure how you're going to bootstrap. Um, so I, the idea of interdependence, we are born in communities. We're born together. The idea of collectivism, and there's so much power in that. And I think that's how we're going to survive this crisis if, we have to kind of come together and support each other. Um, we are creatures of social connections. Um, and I think that's what makes us stronger and uh, better humans. Thank you. Emily. It's so hard to follow both of them. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, the, the current system did, did not work and there were so many people kind of left behind. And I think, you know, i I believe in the power of, of cooperatives and like as you said collectivism and and worker cooperatives and putting more power in the in the hands of workers and I think this is an opportunity for for folks to come together and hopefully create create a new system that can support everybody and and in these in these times of in normal times and in times of crisis whatever normal might be 
And I'm happy to be working with so many people to help make this a reality. And I'm really happy all three of you were able to get together to uh, come on the program and tell us about Mira Kitchen and all of your extraordinary work. Um, I look forward to watching you guys uh, as, as it continues and grows. Thank you guys all so much for being here. Howie, I wanted to say one more thing, please. Can I read something for you? Please. please. Uh, it's from Johanna Mendelssohn Foreman. It says, the global environment is ripe for the use of food as a tool for doing good for training others in the culinary arts, feeding the hungry, helping those who have been down on their luck, and preventing the devastation brought by climate change. I wanted to say, because it wraps up everything we're doing. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you three so much. Thank you. That was Aisha Alfadala, Emily Lerman, and Irena Stein. You can follow Mira Kitchen Collective on Instagram at Mira Kitchen Collective and Alma Cocina Latina at Alma Cocina Latina. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at B-Poles. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, Raphael Weil, and to the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community-building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back tomorrow. This is Takeaway Only.